Abram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. As always, we will thank our good friends, New Iberia, Louisiana. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Louisiana Hot Sauce, title sponsor of the Nolcast, and the uh, driving force behind uh, the podcast that we have built out here. So, Bud, we've got uh, a couple different things to talk about. We are staring, I think, 220-something days without football directly in the face, or maybe 219 days. You don't count spring, man? Well, you know, for, <laughs> it depends on who you're talking to and when. But, uh, yeah, so going to be a while till we get some real pigskin, but it uh, doesn't mean that, uh, you know, we haven't gone through an off-season or two. And uh, in some ways, this is kind of my favorite time of the year. So, uh, you know, we'll continue to use the uh, signing day and the traditional signing day as kind of a uh, marker in time. We'll focus tonight on the defensive uh, needs for the class of 22 and kind of a good benchmark as to where the various position groups uh, sit. And then we've got some listener questions and a couple other things that we'll touch on as we go through the show. So with that, uh, let's jump straight into it. And as always, uh, look forward to doing another Nolcast. Let's do this thing. So I, I really wasn't sure how well this was going to hit, right? I mean, the, the show has grown so much and, and we have our diehards and we also have kind of our casual listeners. It's just something we've always kind of done. And I always thought it's a good show, but I was like, are we going to lose our, our casual people? But the, the numbers on the episode were were really good, and the feedback was strong. And so I, you know, we we try to dumb it down. So I don't know. You guys don't think this is boring, so we're going to go ahead and do it for the defensive side of the ball. Uh, let's go ahead and run this down. I think we did offense what three or four weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago. It was after after the early signing period. I know. Uh, so defensively, obviously, an area where this team needs to get a lot better. Took a whole lot of transfers this year on the defensive side of the ball. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through, we're going to run down each position, what, who we know that position loses uh, and you know, kind of who else that position might lose, at least numerically, what they need to go after high school wise and maybe transfer wise. And then uh, kind of our reasoning for that. And then maybe a target or two, uh, if there's somebody we feel like they would definitely take right now. Uh, so starting with defensive end, I, I have some good news to report here, man. This is a position that Florida state, I would say up until about six weeks ago, they had not recruited very well. And then they managed to do fairly well on, uh, on the early signing period day, getting Pat Payton and George Wilson uh, to sign on the dotted line. Uh, but they're going to lose Leonard Warner, who's playing more of that DN spot. They're going to lose transfer Jermaine Johnson, who's a, a super senior. And, and ultimately, just given the cluster of defensive ends that they have, Roughly about the same age, I, I would expect attrition uh, of at least one player from the current ranks. And, and so given that, I, I think it's really important that you go out and you sign three high school defensive ends this year. I would see your current defensive ends are not very proven. So if you want to make me an argument that you go to high school and, and, and one portal, I could see that. Uh, maybe you go three high school in one portal, but I think, I, th- excuse me, I think the three high school is the way to go here. You did get some decent talent in the 21 class. You're going to need at least one of those guys to emerge for the 22 season. But they already have really, really nice players here in, in Hester and Kelly, who we've spoken about on previous shows. I, I know Brendan Sinone did a nice breakdown of Kelly's game uh, on Knowles247.com earlier this week. Not appreciated, Brendan. We're, uh, we're going to let that kid fly under the radar as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, um, without giving any anything away, uh, I'm, I am on rankings council, and I'm, I'm I will tell you that looking at the spreadsheet, 
we were aware of him before Brendan's article. So don't go, don't get mad at, at Brendan for, for hyping the kid up. He, uh, I, I think he's a top 100 level kid ultimately. Now I want to see him in person more, but yeah. Yeah. We've said for about two or three months now that that kid is, is ultimately probably, you know, somewhere between a top 100 and top 200 type kid. Uh, don't, don't let the, the three star uh, fool you. So uh, yeah, didn't mean to derail us there, but uh, certainly off to a real strong, strong start with what you've done, uh, at least what you have committed in the 22 class. And yet you have another guy uh, who is available in Marvin Jones Jr., who is a legacy, but also an awesome player in his own right. You know, a top 25 player nationally for, for my money. Awesome pass rusher and certainly given the Knowles a look and given a lot of other schools looks as well, they're going to have to fight fight like hell to see if they can get him. But he's he's the target right now at defensive end. It's not that they won't offer anybody else, but uh, right now they're they're all in for, for Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones, I think you have to be, right? Like that's that's one of the ones you, that you shoot the moon for. No, I mean he's he's not just a legacy. He's he's as much of a legacy as there is in the in the Florida State program with what uh, obviously his dad. I've I poetically gush over his dad whenever I get the chance to. As far as the type of player he was, uh, his uncle was a hell of a linebacker. His uh, what I believe of his cousin was a the kid that I wasn't sure was really going to take a meaningful snap during his time at Florida State and ended up being a hell of a defensive tackle in his own right. So uh, yeah, Jones Jr. would be a uh, big, big pickup and somebody that, you know, it certainly isn't falling into your lap, but uh, you do get a little bit of a benefit of some of the outside circumstances if you're Mike Norvell and trying to recruit him. All right. So D-tackle position that uh, if you just looked at purely the, the labels on, on the website, you'd probably say Florida State is in big trouble. And ultimately, you, you might be right. They did recruit Shambury Jackson and Josh Farmer, I, I believe, with the idea of having both those guys play some snaps on, on the interior defensive line. So I, I think it'd be prudent to go ahead and label those guys as interior D linemen in, until proven otherwise. Uh, so you're going to lose Robert Cooper. Uh, th- there's no real obvious attrition candidate who I could point out and say that that's the guy who is is going to leave. But you do have four dudes who are about the same class level, uh, and I, I would expect that one of those guys will will probably leave for greener pastures, or maybe give up give up the game if, if they don't make progress or try to go uh, find some playing time maybe at a lower level or something. But uh, ultimately, I, I think you need to take two here. Two high school defensive tackles. That, to me, is is just the right number you need to have. FSU likes to rotate his D tackles quite a bit uh, under Odell Higgins. You know, I, I think almost any defensive line coach would, would also want to do that. So I, I think you need to go out and you, and you need to get two D tackles. Um, preferably somebody who, who can play the nose, a little bit bigger guy. and uh, Because you, you, you took two dudes who are, are sort of similar in terms of, of body style in this prior class. Another certainty we have is the certainty you get when you go with legendary home loans. If you go right now, I'm certain you're going to get a great rate. Call 844-FSU-LOAN. Hit our friends up, Shannon and Chad, best in the business for my money. Did my I, my home loan, did my refi through them. I, I'm pretty sure we're at 140 now because Shannon just emailed three more today that we have to send out t-shirts for. But we're going to have to place another t-shirt order just to fill all of these loans that are getting filled by Shannon and Chad, 844-FSU-LOAN. Give the legendary team a call. I mean, all, all the reviews we get on from y'all are really positive. We give you the testimonial. It's it's the way to go for my money. Let's go uh, Let's go linebacker, man. What, what, what are you thinking there? Well, let's let's talk with the certainty as to what is exiting the, the roster and then have a, 
again, kind of like we said it in, maybe plus one in nutrition, but you know you're losing rice. Brooks gets a little bit more confusing. I mean, I, I don't know. I He would be maybe one of the only guys that I could see actually coming back for a fifth year just because, uh, you know, there's certainly some, some family there. And if the kid wants to come back, that might be a little bit of a complicated situation. But I still think he'll probably move on to, to something else. And then I don't know, but particularly with how this podcast has grown over time, I don't feel super comfortable, you know, speculating on kids leaving. But I, I will tell you that, you know, I, there's a couple <laughs> players at the linebacker position that I'm at this point almost surprised haven't entered the portal. So I, I think it's reasonable for us to expect that you probably see at least one more uh, make their way out of the program over, over the course of the next season, certainly. Well, here's something to think about, right? Are you going to be a two-backer defense or a three-backer defense? Because this matters. Um, if you're a two-linebacker defense, if you're going to play primarily nickel, which means you're only, you're only playing two guys at linebacker at once, that, that compresses the playing time, right? And so you have Jaleel McCray and Kalen Deloach and you know, J.L. McCluster and Stephen Dix Jr. and DJ Lundy. I, I just named off, what, five guys? For two starting spots. And I mean, you also have Gaynor who is going to start somewhere, I, I think, or at least play, you know, several hundred snaps. I'm not telling you which of those guys is going to transfer because I, I don't actually know. I do know that typically you don't see guys hang around three or four years in the transfer portal era if there's no real, no real path for playing time. And so I think we'll learn a lot in spring. In fact, it wouldn't shock me if, if one of these dudes bolts after spring practice at, after they, they're able to survey the landscape elsewhere. Maybe some guys get hurt. Maybe they realize they're going to be second string on a defense that wasn't very good last year, which is not a great sign. And, and they get out. But I, I agree with you. I, I think attrition of one uh, in addition to, to Rice and, uh, and, and maybe Brooks is likely. But the seven or eight, like, do you want to carry seven or do you want to carry eight linebackers? Back in the day, the question really was, do you want to carry eight or do you want to carry nine? But nowadays, teams pass the ball so much that you're playing nickel so often that I don't really know very many teams that carry nine backers unless you're running a three, four, and then you're really kind of carrying, you know, five or six interior backers and, and then you know, four or five outside guys. So that, that's, that's an interesting question. I, I think Florida State will try to carry seven. And, and with that, that means they need to basically go get two high school backers. So they, they can be kind of picky and choosy there. They don't have to go out and, and offer a million kids there because they only need to get two. Uh, but that that's that's my read on that situation. How about uh, how about corner? That uh, this is this one that kind of threw me for a loop, man, because there's only one guy who's for sure leaving. Yeah, so Dotson's the only kid that we talk about with certainty. Uh, almost cut and paste exactly what I just said about the linebackers. As far as certainly heard some names here uh, that that at times were uh, evidently pretty close to entering into the portal and chose not to. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think you see attrition probably of two here and I don't think that's necessarily, uh, you know, speaking, speaking out my rear. I mean, I just, I think you see some numbers turnover here. So, you know, maybe you get a, maybe it's a, a two person class with a high school kid, maybe, maybe a, a certain uh, kid out of Metro Atlanta here that everybody's pretty high on. And then you go out and, and you try to be real selective in the portal and, and try to uh, bolster that way. I mean, you've had some decent success here in the past couple of years, the position hasn't necessarily turned into on-field play, uh, but you've got a decent little roster, but I, I think you'll see a, a pretty good amount of turnover here in the next year. 
if you got to go back to the portal again for more DBs, uh, then that's that's really not a good sign of where this program's going. I, I'm just going to say that. Like, like you you need to be thinking long term developmental upside, and and that means you need to be thinking. All right, it's time to win in 2023, 2024. I think that's a reasonable timeline given the the talent on the roster and some of the issues. You need to have taken taken care of your depth issues at at DB, given the fact that you signed three of them this year through the portal, right? I mean, that's just to me, they're already overextended there as far as scholarship spots. Assuming all those guys are on scholarship, which we'll see. I think one high school for sure, because you obviously have Hunter. Um, maybe another high schooler. Maybe they do go transfer. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I'm. I don't know. Uh, I'm a little skeptical on that. And then the last position, safety which is interesting. And Florida State doesn't even list separate positions now anymore on their website. It's just all corner, or excuse me, all defensive back. And to be honest, I mean, who knows what some of these guys are going to play? Like, is Travis Jay stuck at safety? Or is he going to play some corner? Uh, Demari Tate, I think, is a corner for them. But we'll see what spring practice looks like. Renato Green obviously played safety. Jamie Robinson, I think, will play some of that nickel safety role. Gant is a no doubt safety. Uh, Green McKnight is a player who, who knows, like what's his role? Is he going to have a role going forward? Does he fit what they want to do? We know the attrition from those first class you sign, that little class you only have about 10, 12 days to put together. Uh, We know that attrition sky high and he was a member of one of those classes. So uh, we'll we'll see how he works out. I I think that you're you're not, you're not losing anybody officially. I think you need to plan for attrition of, of at least one here. And I think you need to take one to two safeties. Yeah, that's that's kind of the rundown of, of where Florida State sits right now. And I know they're they're stepping up their offer game. They're offering more players. It's actually been more more offers on offense uh, recently. But I I think that they are actually in a bit of a unique position as far as being able to take a full class here. And and a lot of teams won't be because they're going to try to make twenty twenty two a year they go for it and they have all all these. COVID super seniors, and I know they probably don't want to be called COVID super seniors, just call them super seniors. The, the guys who who get that free extra year. Florida State doesn't have a whole lot of guys like that who project to be uh, coming back. Like, like think about the the juniors or non-Richard seniors who they have on this team, right? I mean, I'm looking at it. So your Richard juniors who, who could come and, and, and play another year, obviously, there's some guys here who I, I I don't really see continuing on, and then your your seniors who could get that that that, se- that COVID uh, senior year. And I'm I'm searching here, but Ingram FSU's website, oddly enough, they don't show any true seniors. Can that be right? Think about so Jordan Wilson, redshirt senior, Mackenzie Milton, redshirt senior, Devontae Love Taylor, redshirt senior, Bavion Leonard, Emmett Rice. Uh, Deontay Williams, who's still listed on the roster, Richard Senior. Jermaine Johnson, obviously Richard Senior. Kier Thomas, Richard Senior. Brandon Moore, Richard Senior. Miko Dotson, Richard Senior. Did they not have any true seniors who could come back for for a, a super senior year? It'd be it'd be the class of 2018, right? 18, 19, 20. This would be their 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 21 year. I know this makes for great radio, by the way, but this this is kind of interesting. Woodby's gone. Lighton's gone. Sante's gone. Cooper will be a fourth-year junior, but we expect him to probably go. Oh, Thompson's gone. Treshawn's gone. Peters is gone. Lamar's gone. Bolden's gone. To gain a redshirt, he did. No, he'll he'll be a redshirt junior this year. They so here, here's the deal. I think FSU updated the years on 
I think FSU updated the years on guys who are new to the program or the super seniors who, who came back. Gainer can't be a redshirt sophomore because this is his fourth year. Yeah, okay. So some of these guys are not properly updated on FSU's website, I, unless I'm just totally misunderstanding this, but I, I don't I don't think I am. Yeah, well, I guess some of them are some of them are properly updated, some of them are not. So Keyshawn Hilton, they have listed as a redshirt junior, which should be correct. For some reason, they still have Gainer as a redshirt sophomore. In any case, I, I don't think there's anybody who they needed to update. Yeah, they also don't list any true juniors. I wonder if, I wonder if they, if they somehow are trying to classify guys like if they counted this COVID year as a redshirt year or something like that, even though the, the player didn't actually technically redshirt. You know what I'm saying? Like for eligibility purposes, they basically just didn't advance them a year. They just called it a redshirt instead. That'd be interesting. So like what, what do they have? What do they have Akeem listed? Akeem they have listed as a redshirt sophomore. I don't think Akeem redshirted at all, did he? Yeah. So on FSU's website, and I'm pretty sure Gant did not either. So they have Gant listed as a redshirt sophomore. That's interesting. I'm pretty sure that's that's not accurate. Yeah, he definitely did not redshirt. I mean, he played in 13 games in 19. And obviously, he played this year. So, okay, interesting. So there's some kind of weird thing going on with FSU's website because the the way these are updated, they're not consistent. I mean, you can't have Gainer being a redshirt sophomore, uh, but then. Anyway, I, I think that we are correct in saying this, that FSU, if you just look at their, their scholarships, they, they don't have many guys who are eligible for that sixth year, if you will, that, that, that super senior year. And I think they have quite a few players who, if you're going to manage your roster in a, I don't want to say aggressive fashion, you only have to give them four years. So maybe that, maybe they don't get a fifth year in Tallahassee. Maybe maybe they're they're said hey like okay you got your four years if you want to keep playing college football you you can kind of go elsewhere I mean I'm just counting in my head here I think they have like seven guys who will have have their fourth year done who are like borderline second or third string which is a lot of dead weight to carry strictly from a football sense all right so we are we will be returning here part two of the show as we had a computer crash and call upon the good skills of our producer Justin to merge these two files together. Bud, no better time than now for me to thank our friends at Madison Social. And it is customary for me to thank them and talk to them about the longstanding support that they've given us and everything else. But if you just want to, you know, scratch an itch uh, as far as <laughs> putting some kind of ridiculous combination of food in front of your face and, and uh, jumping right in, I'll, as always, point out the Reuben sandwich that'll be made available in a week from today, the 17th of each month. But have you seen the. Uh, yeah, I mean, not that we're one to dive deep into uh, Girl Scout cookies talk, but have you seen the Girl Scout cookie skillet that Madso has, uh, has has been making available? Yes, I have. Uh, so, um, as you know, I was uh, trying to make sure my, my weight was was real down because I had to go get some life insurance and uh, you know doing the typical guy hadn't visited a doctor in you know quite a number of years. Uh, so they're like, yeah, we're going to need you to go in and take a physical, get some blood because you know you don't have any medical records for like five years. So uh, I did that and uh, came down at uh, two eleven, uh, which was pretty. Because I was like, well, what if the doctor scale is heavier? Uh, I feel like I deserve one of these. This is a Girl Scout cookie skillet, tagalongs, thin mints, Samoas, whatever you want. They have them this weekend, uh, dude. 
this looks ridiculously good. I mean, you you might need a, a nap afterwards for your diabetic coma, but like that, that's one of those ones that's just worth it. I, I, I just think you do it. Kind of like Tom Brady, right? He never drinks and then all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's throwing a Super Bowl trophy off a boat and, and stumbling all around. And, and I, I just think you, you just go get one of these. These are awesome. Yeah. Looking, looking like me at 3.30 in the morning with my best friend trying to help me around. But uh, yeah, that was a funny video. Uh, all, all the flavors that you would want, mint, Samoa, tag along, uh, mad. So tip of the hat to you. That is uh, one fantastic menu offering. All right. So uh, you mentioned video of Tom Brady stumbling around. Let's transition into something we got a whole lot of questions on on Twitter. Uh, I had not even seen the video at first, but I, of course, had to pull it up, as, as did you. There's like a 1.75 second clip of Mackenzie Milton in the latest uh, tour of duty workout video that Florida State released. I'll just throw it to you first. Right? What, what did you think when you saw this? Like, were you as concerned at all, as all these folks on Twitter? Were, were you not, did you not care at all? What, what, what was your reaction? I mean, I assume you had to go pull it up. Um, yeah, I saw it. And I, uh, <laughs> I mean, let me, let me try to find a way to put this. If, if it was what I was wanting to put out to the world to instill confidence that, uh, you know, all was well with McKenzie Melton, he was going to be, fully 100% go, that's not the clip I would have chosen. I mean, the, the first thing you see is is just a massive knee brace. And, you know, look, the guy, we've talked ad nauseum about the extent of that injury, and the guy legitimately lost his leg. So I guess not too surprising to see it. But when you see it, uh, you notice it. And um, it is a quick little clip, and it's, you know, not live time. It's slowed down some. Uh, it's it's not necessarily the most flattering or the one that I would choose to uh, instill the highest level of confidence in people. Yeah. So look, guys, he almost lost his leg. He's going to have a big brace on and he does. He has a very big brace on. I, I wonder, so either A, they could have chosen a better clip if they have a better clip. Maybe they don't. Maybe that's the best clip they have and, and they elected to go with the barely a two second clip of the guy who we all think is going to be the starting quarterback. So this kind of brings into some questions to my mind. I, I have not seen McKenzie Milton, the, the practice footage at, at UCF. I know Florida State's coaches saw it, and they were impressed enough or sold enough to, to go ahead and pull the trigger you know, on, on the offer for him. And we know that some of the schools, a lot of the schools that McKenzie Milton was hoping to, to get based on the folks he talked to at UCF, who I also talked to, they ended up not going after or not pushing very hard. Let me ask you this. Uh, do you think Florida State's coaches are sold on what McKenzie Milton is right now? Or do you think they are sold on some kind of combination of what they knew him to be at, at, when they were at Memphis and he was at UCF, plus the timeline of how much more time he has to get you know, fully healthy uh, by, by fall? I think both. I, I think that uh, I don't think I've mentioned this before, but on the podcast, I, I, it is my belief that there were some within the Florida state camp who, um, as tape existed, weren't fully sold. So maybe they, and not on, uh, look, his record speaks for himself. That's, that's obviously not what I'm saying, but concerned as to maybe how far the recovery had come. Now, maybe you still take a kid like that and you figure, um, that at the time that you're looking at that tape, he's still eight, nine months away from having to play um, and that you have that time and that a kid's going to continue to improve to some extent after an injury like that as far as mobility and everything else. But um, 
I, I don't think that uh, everybody's questions were immediately satiated by the tape that they saw, but I, I also believe that there was a, a, a group of coaches who saw what they saw and thought that that was plenty for what they wanted to or needed him to do. I think that's fair. I'm not super worried about this. I also was never under the impression that he was going to be a guy who was going to run around anymore, right? Like the guy almost lost his leg. It's one of the worst injuries. It's up there with like the the Willis McGahee injury and um, you know Theismann and stuff. Just like the reactions everybody had on the field to it and the the seriousness of of the injury. So it doesn't concern me that much. But I also think that you and I probably have a little bit less expectations for Mackenzie Milton than maybe some some in the fan base do. And that's okay. We just don't really think that, like, I don't think he's going to come in and, and be some Heisman contender, you know, and I don't think he's going to be what he was when he was at UCF. He's a different player now. It, it's a little bit kind of questioning. I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like, maybe I just wouldn't, wouldn't have put that clip in there at all. But then then you're going to get questions like, hey, where's Mackenzie, right? <laughs> like, why, why are we not showing, showing video? of McKenzie and, and maybe they'll come out with a better one. Maybe he's just slow coming out of his break, right? Maybe it's a drill where they're you know, kind of running side to side and then he's just getting out of his break or the camera angle or whatever. I'm not going to pass sweeping judgments based on, on a two second clip. I still expect him to, to be the starter. Yeah, absolutely. Just further reinforces the point that has always been there and that we've always talked about that if you're going to bring in the kid, uh, you got to go get supplemental help along the offensive line. So uh, we will, Continue to watch and wait for uh, such development there. What do we have next? We have some listener questions. Oh, we have Bill Connolly, my, my, my friend Bill Connolly, who was recently on my, my national pod, the Cover 3 podcast. And you guys can listen to that Cover 3 podcast wherever you get your podcast. And we had Bill on to talk uh, returning experience and, and uh, to promo his uh, SP Plus preseason ratings. Three components of them, obviously, returning production, ret- uh, recent recruiting, and then a recent performance. So uh, Florida State comes out and they are 61st overall with a projected 41st rated offense and 70th uh, rated defense. Those would both be pretty significant improvements from where this team was this year. Uh, interestingly, a lot of ACC teams in this range, Virginia 56th, Boston College 62nd, uh, Wake Forest 64th. That's kind of, yeah, like middle of the pack in college football. I, I, it's hard to sort of argue with that. You have some opponents on here who are uh, much higher, and you have a couple opponents who are much lower than Florida State. Uh, so Miami at eighth, 22.7 rating. Florida State has a rating of, I think, 4.5. Uh, Clemson at second overall. I mean, Clemson uh, is losing backup linebackers who LSU has taken for transfers. They're, they're kind of a different level loaded, especially on defense. Uh, this year, and there, I think they're in that range where just go ahead and write that one off. You, you can't physically hang with them up front. Uh, Notre Dame, interesting here, twenty fifth, a rating of fourteen point eight. So, if you look at that, fourteen point eight, four states at four point four, it's like a ten point four point difference. You, you 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 know take off two and a half points for for home field, you get down to Notre Dame being favored in Tallahassee. And Bill's number is usually pretty close to the spread of like eight points, somewhere between a touchdown and, and 10 points. Like that's, I think a lot of fans would probably expect it to be a higher spread based on recent performance by the Irish and, and recent performance by the Knolls. Uh, I 
if you're FSU fans, you say, hey, you're, you're only a touchdown or 10-point underdog at home to open the year against the Irish. I, I think you take that all day, right? Yeah, yeah, no, you certainly do. And that's a, a game that would change the, you know, perceived trajectory of the year and certainly give you currency to spend on the recruiting trail like like no other could. But yeah, no, that's an interesting extrapolation there from from his numbers and giving us kind of a, an idea as to where that, that line might be. The, uh, the other games here, so NC State and Louisville are both projected to be about a field goal better than you on a neutral site, but you're playing them at home. So those are basically coin flip uh, games in, in Bill's mind and you know, in, in the mind of his system. Obviously, I think it's very important that, that you're able to, uh, to at least get a split out of those games. And then Boston College, Wake Forest, kind of the same deal. Uh, you know, the, those, those are games where you might be a, a slight underdog because you're on the road. But again, you, you need to come away with it. At least a split, I, I think, in those two games. If you don't go at least two and two against Wake, Boston College, Louisville, and NC State, uh, then th- then you could you could fail to meet expectations this year. Syracuse uh, not really projected to uh, to take a big step up next year, so most likely should be a win for you. I don't think we missed anybody, did we? Oh, uh, Florida twelfth overall. They, they do lose quite a bit, um, but they, they they picked up some obviously some impact transfers, especially Gilbert. And then UMass, your non-conference opponent, UMass not dead last, actually. They're, they're a whole touchdown better than, than the team that is projected dead last, New Mexico State. Uh, UMass is actually projected 129th, but uh, by, they're pretty safely there in that 129 spot. They're, they're, not, uh, they're not in that 130 slot. So n- nice job on the scheduling, get, getting that guaranteed win, very important. Uh, absolutely. So we've got a lot of, uh, great listener questions as we are uh, fortunate to be able to lean back on. Many of these are provided by our Patreon, uh, supporters. You can go to patreon.com backslash Nolcast. Um, you know, it, it certainly puts you at the front of the line for questions. We don't necessarily, uh, promise that everything will be responded to on there, but, uh, we do, uh, appreciate the support that, uh, those who choose to support us on Patreon, provide and uh, they have provided uh, and been kind enough to provide a decent amount of things for us to run through tonight. So uh, the first one, and this, I thought this was a pretty interesting question, but um, I believe it's pronounced Rashia. Uh, Rashia asked us with a postponement of in-person recruiting, I'm assuming there's a pretty decent chunk of a recruiting budget untouched due to coaches not traveling and not having to pay expenses tied to official visits. Do you think the funds will roll over for the next recruiting cycle and will be applied to current expenses or uh, perhaps put towards a future project? Yeah, so I, I think that they probably ate through these funds just as a general athletic department due to lack of, of ticket revenue and other revenue that, that they would have received you know, for this year. So I, I don't know that those funds are, are there to be rolled over. I, I'd be very surprised if, if they were. I mean, if, if you... If you listen to the comments of, of athletic director David Coburn, um, it, he's talking about like budget deficits and, and uh, kind of lean time. So I, I don't get the sense that they think they have this big pile of money they're going to be able to roll over that they saved on recruiting. They're probably using that to pay, to pay a lot of other expenses that they had this year uh, that would normally be paid for by other means of, uh, of, of revenue. Uh, next question we had from Rashia was... Uh, could the two of you provide any kind of insight on the Cornell Jones dismissal? Cornell Jones was a uh, former Purdue player who had transferred to Florida State as a walk-on and was uh, dismissed from the program a couple months ago or, or a month ago. 
Uh, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I don't know uh, if you're able to provide our listeners with any more. Yeah, I, I think the way she asked this was key. Uh, she said, without slandering the kids or anything insight you can provide on the Cornell Jones dismissal, there's not, right? Like, I've heard whispers of stuff, but I'm not going to repeat those because I don't, I don't know that they're, that they're factual, right? Like, it doesn't rise to a level where I can say, yeah, this is, you know, th- this is something I'm pretty sure about or this is something from, from somebody I trust. So, uh, I'm, I'm not able to comment on that. I, I, I don't really... If it was a scholarship guy, I'd probably dig a little more. Uh, but you know, there's there's a whole bunch of walk-ons on the team, and they're not they're just not really relevant to the actual team's play. Uh, so I, I don't really go after that very much, unless there's some kind of real big story there that I'm missing. Um, the third one, she says, "Do you guys uh, think Norvell has full support of the boosters yet? If not, what will it take him to gain it?" Um, yeah, full support. I mean, that's uh, that would be hard to classify um, it, exactly to what level. Uh, the question might be tied to, I mean, look, I, I think uh, the Boosters as an organization, obviously, is, and we talked about this last week, is is going through a, a transformation. It appears to be a very positive transformation as far as their uh, ability to get people involved. I think they had another week uh, to where they added, I think, another plus 600 Boosters or something like that. So that's certainly significant. And a tip of the hat to that group is I know they're, they're working real hard to continue to expand their ranks. Um, I mean, look, you know, I think Norvell hasn't done anything to shed support, and to all extents, and I, I mean, look, these two are married to each other for a long time. Uh, I think they've got to make it work. I think they've got to have the support here. Uh, you know, we'll talk more about comparisons of uh, finances of other schools in some of these other questions, but, uh, you know, Florida State and, and Norvell have to make this a relationship that's beneficial for both parties and and have to ride it out and be successful. And, uh, and, you know, to do that, the boosters have to give him, uh, as much support as possible. And, you know, I, I think that there's no reason that he's at my point or my point of view is that he hasn't done anything to necessarily suffer some significant erosion of support. And, uh, you know, these two parties gotta, gotta make it work. And I think he'll be given every benefit of the doubt. I think the support could be much better if they were actually able to have the booster tours, right. Uh, and able to have Mike Norvell go around and actually meet people in person. I know he's been able to meet some booster groups in person, not like Tampa boosters or Orlando boosters, but like some smaller, you know, kind of higher dollar booster groups. I, I do believe have been able to meet with him, uh, some in person, which is, which is obviously important. I, I don't think he's done anything in, in, in meeting with people that have turned them off, at least not to my knowledge. I think he has projected an air of competence that they respect. And I think he's been realistic as far as laying out his plan and timeline. Uh, and I, I think that's important, right? Because he wasn't out there making grand, pl- grand proclamations of how good this team was going to be and then have him fall flat. Uh, when, when that happened with Willie, uh, with, with you know him thinking his team was going to be really, really good, and it, it made people think he doesn't know what he was doing. Right. It's like, wait a second. Like, how did this guy think this team was going to be, you know, this good? And it was, it was not. Now, look, privately, I think this, that this team thought this defense was going to be a lot better than it was. And for like the third coach in a row, they underestimated how bad the offensive line ultimately was in practice. But they didn't have these sort of big swing and misses that were public on, on how good this team was going to be. Uh, and I also think that they come off as more organized than the last staff did just 
the people who write the big checks, they hear about stuff behind the scenes. And if, the, if that stuff is lack of organization, can't, can't get hotel rooms booked, things like that, then that's, that's problematic, right? And they think, I don't want to give my money to somebody who's going to waste it. And it is not, they don't have their stuff together. But at the same time, I don't think Norvell's done a whole lot to you know, win other boosters over because he really hasn't had much of a chance to, to meet with them. Mark asks our next question. Mark says, congrats on 500 episodes. Hoping for there to be 500 more. I appreciate it, Mark. With the struggles of the best 3-4 season, your content has always helped me uh, get through tough times. Uh, watching the Mark Yule highlights almost reminds me of a freshman Chris Ricks. Let's hope he has as good of an arm. With his commitment, I was wondering how being a left-handed quarterback may uh, impact the system. Does protection change at all? Playbook get flipped? Sorry if that's a dumb question. Aside from Hornybrook, I don't remember many FSU left-handed quarterbacks. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't recall very many uh, left-handed quarterbacks at Florida State. I will say this. I, I do not think that, that Marchio has, has that level of, of arm, right? I, I don't think he has a Chris Ricks level of talent physically. Now, I think he's a tough player. I think he's a strong player in terms of like physically strong, and I think he's tough to, to bring down. Um, but look, guys, I mean, he was only 8.3 yards per attempt in Arizona, which is okay, but not amazing competition. Uh, he was 66%, but again, a, a low relative, you know, relative for like elite level quarterback prospects, low yards per attempt. Uh, and I think he had like an 11 to 7 to touchdown interception ratio. So uh, I, I don't think he's necessarily a, a sure thing. I, I wouldn't put him up there with, with Chris Ricks and, and that level of physical talent. Chris Ricks had a ton of physical talent. He was also coached by Jeff Bowden and that went really poorly. Um, in, in addition to, you know, this quarterback coach at the time, the second part of the question was what about, about, about the switch in the playbook for lefties? Yeah. Uh, just how that impacts, uh, whether it be, you know, formations or calls or anything else. Yeah. So you can do it. The, the issue is going to be like, are there certain routes that, that make more sense to throw as a lefty? Uh, from certain sides of the field based on where the ball is on the hash. Most teams can run plays where where they flip it. One of the issues becomes in practice, right? Like, do you want to constantly be flipping back and forth or does your front side just become a backside on some of these plays for a lefty as opposed to a righty? I, that's another way that, that you can do it. It just kind of depends. If he wins the starting job outright, then I think your primary becomes what fits him better. If not, I, I think you need to split it up some in, pra in practice. But like that, I don't think that they will constantly flip, but I, I've not had a chance to ask Mike Norvell or, or Dillingham about this, so I don't really know what their policy is on this. And I, I don't know that they've had a lefty. Brady White, no. I don't think, if I recall, the, the Arizona State kids were. So I, I don't know how, how Norvell actually handles lefty. Uh, Justin writes, I heard Bud on Cover 3 talking about how most NCAA programs are fixing the books to make it look like they're losing money to avoid paying athletes. I was wondering if y'all think FSU had the money to buy out Willie all along and the fundraising campaign was all show uh, or that it was really something FSU needed to make the buyout happen. If FSU simply fixing the books, was that part of what, the reason why Jimbo was upset about the facilities? So this is kind of a complicated answer. No, FSU definitely did not have the cash on hand to buy out Willie. Like they, they did not. They had to be very creative. I think they had to move some things around. Uh, change some assets, and also get some more more pledges from people. My my point on cover three was that look, the, these these schools all cry poor 
because they intentionally spend all their money in order to make it seem like they don't have the money to pay athletes. When in fact, they're you know investing way more in facilities and coaches than any other minor league type system in the world does, right? Like I'll compare it to European basketball. You don't see any of these coaches in European basketball make anywhere near what the NBA coaches make, right? In college football, when you see college football coaches making very similar money to the NFL, but the players don't make anything and, and the NFL players make you know, millions of bucks. I, I'm not going to get on a big player's rights diatribe here, but there is no doubt that one of the main reasons why the NCAA's business model works is because all the schools just spend, 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 spend everything they have in order to say, oh, we don't have any money for the players, right? Like Auburn makes a new $90 million football facility. Oh, but no money for the players, right? Um, FSU's not like, no, I, this, this type of fixing the books did not have anything to do, in my opinion, with Jimbo being upset about the facilities. I, I think that he had rubbed some, rubbed some boosters the wrong way, uh, based on some of the things we talked about before. And I think some of them had rubbed him the wrong way. And obviously some people in the administration had rubbed him the wrong way and he had some rubbed some of them, uh, the wrong way. That's, that's a lot of rubbing, but yeah, my, my main point is, is that these schools all spend down to nothing by blowing a ton of money on facilities and coaching that uh, in order to say, hey, there's no money to pay the players. All right, but real quickly before we get to our next question, uh, we want to thank our friends at Congruity. Congruity has been uh, nothing but a fantastic addition for us. And uh, from the feedback we're getting, starting to uh, have more and more of our listeners interested, and that's great stuff and uh, you know, very confident that, uh, that the more that you learn about congruity, the services they offer, and the ability to work with people like Matt Lewis, uh, that uh, more and more of our listeners will take advantage of the um, services that they offer. Congruity is experiencing your business optimized, highly customized HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce business risk. You can reach Matt at 844-247-4100 or Knowles at congruityhr.com. That's N-O-L-E-S at congruityhr.com. So Kesna, uh, <clears throat> a frequent contributor, chimes in that uh, there's a good bit of barbecue talk here, which I'll cut through some of it just because we've uh, got a decent amount of questions still to get to. Uh, let's see. While listening to people... Excuse me. As I started to think about the excitement, which is this, which exists around our group of transfers, especially our upgraded quarterback. While listening to people talk about estimated win totals for the 2021 season, I can't help but feel like I'm missing something in the optimism, which uh, we addressed major while we addressed major issues like defensive end and defensive back depth, as well as address culture, uh, which I believe was the second biggest issue on the team ahead of the aforementioned items. We failed to address the biggest issue, which is left tackle. If we can't get a decent left tackle to transfer to tally in time to get up to speed for the start of the season, isn't this team dead on arrival? I fear that KZ will look like JV1 and the team will struggle to win five games, not coming close to a win total, which would create excitement in the majority of the fan base. When I try to think of an analogy to express the state of our offense, Clemson and Alabama are the Ferraris. We are a Mustang with a flat tire without run rat, one without run flats. Am I crazy to feel that our offense is dead on arrival without a competent left tackle? I don't think you're crazy to feel that way. If anything, I think the video this week maybe bolsters that view. 
I think FSU should have thrown more scholarships at the tackle position, even if it's just for depth. Uh, I think any situation in which you know, Jalen Goss or, or, or Chaz Neal have to play is a very scary one. And you have Devontae Love Taylor coming off injury. You have two guys who are very far from proven in Washington and Scott, and both of whom might profile better as guards. Uh, I, I think FSU should have thrown more resources at, at this issue. Uh, we know that FSU's pass blocking last year in obvious passing downs was atrocious. It really was not improved at all. I think Alex Atkins did a ton of great things. I think he helped this offensive line out a lot, and I think they masked many of the deficiencies of this offensive line by using Jordan Travis and basically running the option. But unless they make massive leaps in pass protection, the ability to pass protect when the opponent knows you're going to throw the ball, yeah, they're in trouble. Now, maybe they will make those leaps. But if you want to get to a win total that is going to excite the fan base more and not just kind of stay on schedule as far as improvement, like I, I think they can get to six wins or five, you know, five or six wins if they don't have big-time improvement on the offensive line. Because I think Kenzie is, is an upgrade over Jordan as far as throwing the football. Pretty obvious one, in my opinion. And I think he can get the ball out quick. He does have a lightning quick release. I mean, that is probably the best thing that he does. But if you want to get to like seven, eight wins, you got to be able to throw the ball when the opponent knows you got to throw. And I don't know that they can pass protect you right now. I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on it. I know some people are. We'll see. I didn't see it last year. I didn't see it the year before or the year before or the year before. Yeah, I, I don't know, man, but I don't think you're down on the rival, right? Like, like not having a left tackle does not mean you can't reach your goals. It just means you can't reach your sort of more lofty goals. Yeah, it limits the, the goals and it certainly limits the margin of error uh, that you have as far as sustaining any kind of injuries. And Yeah, right. If you, if you have an injury, then you're really screwed. Then, then you could easily go 3-9 or 4-8. Uh, Austin writes, curious to hear which players you gentlemen think stand to gain the most from a hopefully traditional strength and conditioning program uh, and a traditional round of spring practice. A couple on each side of the ball. Uh, Austin, when I saw your question, first name that popped into my mind is, is uh, I think you could have a real big, large jump out of Dante Lucas. I, mean, I think that is a guy that uh, if he's fully exposed to a uh, – strength and conditioning program and, um, you know, has the ability to really take advantage of it and the, and the want to take advantage of it, uh, that that's a guy that could really see a jump. I mean, I wasn't in practice. I don't, uh, you know, want to make too big extrapolations, but physically that looked like a guy that was a little bit smaller than he was when he was a freshman to me, uh, a guy that looked like a, a body that maybe was a little bit more sloppy than when he was a freshman. So uh, I think with a, a full round of, of strength and conditioning, that's a guy that you could hold out hopes for a pr pretty significant jump of play. I, I agree with you there. Um, look, we know for a fact that Dante being home last year over the summer during the pandemic, recovering from his injury, was a concern for the staff, right? Like finding them places to rehab. And, and uh, like we knew he wasn't getting the typical type of workouts and, and he, he was not better as a sophomore than he was a freshman. I think that's that's an absolutely great one. Uh, I'll I'll say Lloyd Willis. Right, I, we just mentioned in the prior question, like, what if you have to play Chaz Neal or Goss? Like, like you're screwed. Those guys can't play. Like Willis in his second year. Do I think he's going to be good? No, I think he's going to take probably a couple of years. But you know, could he uh, 
could he maybe emerge a little bit faster than normal as, as a decent backup? If you help, if you help him out with strength conditioning some, if you put a little more functional strength on him, I think that's certainly somebody who, you know, who, who could be, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what, what they do with Byron Turner, right? Like that's a guy mm-hmm. who I think yeah. comes in pretty muscled up, but I, I, I want to see if you can unlock more first step quickness with him. I, I want to see what coach, what coach storms can do because physically I think he can play as far as like not getting pushed around too much, mm-hmm. but I want to see more, more quickness off the line of scrimmage to the extent you can, you can coach and, and develop that twitchiness. So that, that would be one uh, for me. Who else? There's actually, I mean, there's a lot of guys on this roster who, who certainly, um, who need it. I, I'd like to see what, what you do with Burrell. I know he's a freshman, but like my main question about him was his speed. Can you unlock some more speed with him? That would be, that'd be great. And I want to see also what they do with, with Lawrence Toa Philly. Yeah. That's the next name that was coming out of my mouth. Sorry, Absolutely. I, I, I kind of jumped, jumped ahead there. No, no. I mean, but that's, that's one. And that's a guy who, you know, obviously had some nice flashes, but, uh, you know, he will put on a little bit of weight and, and, you know, sometimes you can lift heavy and, and gain speed. That would be a interesting thing to see if there's any kind of, if that guy's straight line speed, which rarely is the concern, but if that guy's, you know, Oh, okay. I've, I've made the first guy miss. Now, is this going to be like a 14 yard gain or is this going to be a 49 yard gain? Uh, if he can start to uh, stretch out that top end speed, uh, that then you got a hell of a prospect. I agree there. Uh, we're, we're, I guess we're a little light on, on defense, uh, so we should probably pick another, another guy or two. Travis J. Yeah. I mean, you know, where ultimately are you trying to play him? How much? I mean, that's a, that looks like a frame that you could put a decent amount of weight on if you wanted to. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm fascinated by what they do with Jay uh, in general. And uh, there were some... You know, he he was kind of going back and forth between Tallahassee and home as well. And I, I don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about everything that I ever hear, but I, I know that, you know, if he's able to get full exposure to a weight program and, and kind of operate within the system, then that's a ridiculously talented kid who uh, is only going to be well served by things like that. that, that that's, that's certainly interesting. Uh, let me see one more guy here. I I will go... I'm going to go Brendan Gant. I think he's, I think he's a heady player. I, I think they, they could maybe unlock a little more quickness out of him or, or maybe just try to bulk him and, and make him more of that in-the-box safety. But he, he's another guy I feel like this is sort of a, not a make-or-break year, but, but kind, of, kind of a moving day, right? Like, he's a guy I like. He's a guy I think the staff likes. Just can, can you get more out of him? He's somebody that, that I'm, I'm interested in seeing what they can get out of him. Uh, another guy who they were actually... I think higher than they thought they would be going in, go, like going into the year. Zane Herring. Nobody's going to tell you Zane Herring is a freak athlete, but the staff was impressed by like he knew who to block and he could generally get in the way. And then he got hurt. And if you take some of that baby fat off him and, and you, get, you get him going a little more, I, I'd be very interested to see what, what they're able to get out of him. I, I don't think he projects as an early time starter. Maybe he takes that step to, to being on pace. Let's see here. Tom writes, first off, you guys do an amazing job. Make me look smarter than my friends with my Knowles takes. I get asked uh, how I know so much, and I always wrap the Knoll cast. Appreciate that, Tom. Purely off-season fun type question. Which Florida State team would win in a playoff of all-time FSU teams? Most people would say 13, but I think 99 could give them a run. 
I also think that 92 would be a dark horse candidate. Your thoughts? <laughs> so it's a great question. It's a great question and a very fun off-season type question. It's real hard for me to, and normally I'm kind of the, I think Bud and I are only two years apart, but I'm kind of more the, the old head on the, uh, the podcast here and talk about some of the, the earlier dynasty teams. But, it, man, like 2013 was such a absurdly talented team that it's hard for me not to immediately go to them. Uh, I think the 92 team is a great shout. Uh, I will also say, if you're talking about teams that didn't win a national championship, dude, the 1997 team was one of the best teams that Florida State put together. I mean, and that defense was nuts. And if you let that defense get in a playoff type structure that, I mean, I was there, I was there uh, for the only loss they suffered that year. And it was a rip your heart out type, type of loss, but that was an absurdly talented roster with a defense that was as mean as anything that has been fielded in college football in the last 35 years. All right. So I'm going to read you some names on the 92 team. I think 92 is a good shout. All right. Charlie Ward. Sean Jackson, William Floyd, Tiger McMillan, Zach Crockett, Tamarick Vanover, Kez McCorvey, Shannon Baker, Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox, by the way, uh, they had some freaks on that team, man. Like, like Kevin Knox reminded me a lot, or excuse me, I should phrase this differently. There was a kid that, that Florida State had probably 12 years ago now, maybe, maybe 11 years ago, named Jarman Fortson. If, if, if you remember Jarman, he... Uh, I think he has two plays that stand out in my mind. The tunnel screen that he takes to the house, he gets called back against North Carolina and him dropping the pass from Ponder against Miami in the end zone, which would have won the game. He had a nice, uh, he had a nice catch, a ridiculous catch in the West Virginia last Bowden game. Yes. Oh, and, uh, and Georgia tech, the, the, the crazy back and forth game in Tallahassee that had the lightning delay. He had a big time catch, I think in that one. No, Fortson's a, he's always a, he was a catalyst for the, Noel Cass coming about as well. I mean, I, I broke the news that he was kicked off the team um, during the like Florida State media day, and you oh, and I knee were kind of going back and forth at the time. Yeah, the <laughs> knee surgery. Yeah, he's having knee surgery. Jimbo, oh. God, I got to give Jimbo credit for some of the stuff that he would say. But yeah, yeah, no, just a knee issue. Oh, okay. Thirty minutes later, okay, everybody, come back to me. Uh, well, it didn't work out with Jermaine Fortson, so he's off the team. Sorry. Continue, continuing here, uh, Matt Fryer. Lonnie Johnson at, at tight end, Clay Shiver. Just wait till you get to the linebackers. I mean, just just wait. Pretty good defensive line. Derek Alexander, Ken Alexander. They have Tyrick McIntosh there. Uh, now, linebackers, some names you'll, you'll recall. Uh, Derek Brooks, Marvin Jones, Chris Cowart, DBs. Uh, oh, Todd Rebol as well. At backer, when they're when Ken Alexander on that team, or um, yeah, okay, yeah, Ken Alexander too. Good God. Uh, that's that's freaky. Uh, and then DB, Corey Fuller, Devin Bush, Corey Sawyer, Leon Fowler, John Davis, Clifton Abraham. Mm. That yeah. defense was just absolutely nasty. The issue was Charlie was not fully formed Charlie in 92, right? You know, from a passing efficiency standpoint, uh, if you measure them by today's standards, like they're nowhere close. But even if you measure them by 1992 standards, I don't think that they were that high because Charlie really wasn't dominant yet. Like he had, he came on strong late. Yeah, it clicked in the uh, the Georgia Tech game uh, of 92. One of the more, you could argue, one of the more 
yeah, you know, important games in the program's history. But uh, yeah, kind of came together for him there. But Nud Ward almost lost his job as a junior. Absolutely. I think I would take 2013 over 92. Uh, just just because of the quarterback element. Um, linebacker on 92, I think is better. I think talent-wise, receiver on 92 is better as well. But overall, I, I would take 13 over that team. Twenty The 1997 team, that, that team is sick, man. I mean that that team. If you put that team in a playoff, I I think that they probably do. I think they win the national title, or or come really close to it. That that was a uh, that was a Nebraska year. That was uh, yeah, that was a Nebraska year. That was a Nebraska year. That was a that was a ridiculous defense. Ridiculous defense with uh, some pretty ridiculous supporting. Offensive pieces uh, as well, but uh, great question. Was that the Tommy Frazier sixty-two point game uh, against? Uh... No, no, they didn't play Florida. They, Florida wasn't particularly good that year. I think that was ninety-five. Okay, they were thirteen and zero. They beat they beat Tennessee in in the Orange Bowl. That's right, forty-two to seventeen. All right, that that Nebraska team would have given that ninety-seven team a run for its money. It, it was excellent, but it was not as good as that that one Tommy Frazier team. That 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 was the year they split with uh with who Michigan and the AP I, th- I think Michigan was one in the AP and, yeah. and Nebraska was number two yeah Mickey uh, for all his strengths was never never great at defending the option either so uh, probably a probably a good thing that we didn't didn't run into Nebraska that year I agree and at the same time like I don't think anybody was really great at at, at stopping you know the, those Nebraska teams and he he did hold them in check in the Orange Bowl I mean, relatively. At least against Nebraska, I think later in his career, some of the stuff he was doing was was countered very well, but especially by the like spread option teams. All right, so the '97 team, Chris Winkie, obviously pretty pretty good player. Um, Travis Miner, D. Feaster, also at running back. Uh, you have Peter Wark, E.G. Green, Lavernius Coles, Snoop Minnis, Ron Dugans. That is a really really good receiver core. I mean, I think that that receiver core is, is certainly better than what you had in 2013. Uh, tight end Melvin Pearsall. I think he made it to the league, but I'm not sure. Um, offensive line was, was decent. Charles Thomas, Jason Whitaker. Defensive line that year, you had Wadsworth, you had Greg, Sp- Greg Spires, you had Tony Bryant, you had Jam- a young Jamal Reynolds, you had Corey Simon. Um, Linebacking core, Daryl Bush, Sam Cowart, Lamont Green, Brian Allen. Uh, and then DBs, you know, take Cody, Dexter Jackson, Super Bowl MVP, Samari Roll played, you know, on the Tennessee Titans forever. Shevin Smith, Derek Gibson, who I think also was a star. You know, he, he played in the NFL for a while. I don't know if yeah. Troy Saunders made it to the league or not. I'm trying to think. I don't think he Chris Hope on the 97 team, or is that a... I'm not seeing that. He might have been. No, that's too. That's too early. Never mind. Ninety-seven is, is certainly up there. I I know Bill Conley wrote something, or at least discussed something one time of the, the like the best college ball teams to not win a title. And I don't think ninety-seven Florida State is like in the top five of that all time, but they're probably not that far off. They 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 only lost one game. It was by one score on the road in the swamp against a very good Florida team uh, that really. If Bowden coaches that game better, they they probably don't lose. That that is, my head would explode if somebody coached a game like that nowadays. The, all of, all of the punting in opponent territory, 
and the ridiculous field goal kicking down inside. Like, how many field goals did they kick inside the five? Do you remember that? No, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I, mean, I was there. I was there. It was a tough, yeah. toughy of a game, certainly. Now, at the time, that that what that type of decision was not criticized quite as much. Yeah. Okay. So you got it on Noel fan. Uh, I got it on Sports Reference. Twenty-eight yard field goal, which means you kicked from the eleven. Thirty-one yard field goal, which means you kicked from the fourteen. Twenty yard field goal, which means you kicked from the three. I mean, if you just go for it those times, you're not going to get it all those times. You're going to score more points. Like that's just that type of management is is not good. Uh, and then additionally, the punts that Florida State had, and I know it's it's was Cottrell the punter that year. Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah, he was. So, I mean, looking at this. Oh, and then they also allowed a huge explosive play at the end. Legend has it that they had uh, that Florida State was reading signs, and UF was aware of that, and they ran a, a slant and go when Samari Roll believed he saw a slant. Hey, picking signs is a smart thing to do. It'll happen, and Florida happened to have a running back called Fred Taylor who was pretty damn tough to bring down at times as well. Yeah, he so. didn't suck. That's very true. Uh, I, I can't find the, the, the punts in that game. I, I watched a replay of it, and I was like, man, some of these punts are really questionable. Now, look, they weren't as questionable by, like, by the standards of the day, but if you put this game under that microscope now, I mean, there's, there's little doubt that, uh, that FSU, A, look, they were outgained by a ton. I mean, Florida outgained by 140 yards. I mean, they, they, Florida put up 500 yards on 67 plays. FSU had 360 on 73. So FSU's offense was not good in the thing, but also it, like it squandered the, the, the chances that it had to score. I mean, FSU had one defensive touchdown. Yeah, one, one defensive touchdown. Yeah, they, uh, Lamont Green did have a scoop and score early in the game. Yeah, and, and Florida missed, uh, I think, two. I think they missed two, uh, two field goals in that, in that ball game. Anyway, that's a lot of time on the null cast on, on that. Uh, what do we have here? You want to take Marats? Yeah, he's got a question. Uh, he always has kind things to say about the show. Marat, we appreciate it. Uh, as in, this is a reference I didn't see coming. As Scarface the Rapper sings, money makes the world go round. This is true for college football programs. Hiring assistants, nutritionists, quality control experts, and world-class facilities require large year-over-year investments. One of the ways that we can invest in Florida State's football program is through Seminole Boosters. I believe that they raised $64 million in 2019 with an ultimate goal of investing $100 million in Florida State's athletic programs. Compare this to the University of Alabama which raised $222 million from 60,000 alumni in 2019. Is the game over? Should we stop dreaming of catching up to them in football and soon with other sports programs? You want to lead off on this, bud, or uh, should I? I? I think you could take the lead on this. I would say uh, that is the dream over now? The dream is not over. Uh, you've got to... You know, you've got to stay in the fight. Uh, Florida State, we've talked about the young alumni base. You've got to uh, stay there and uh, continue to grow your numbers and, you know, get those people that are going to give you three to five to $10,000 a year. And, um, you know, Florida State at some point in time is is going to be the fortunate benefactor of uh, an alumni base that matures. Somebody's 
uh, has a company out there that they built. <laughs> They're going to sell to a private equity firm for $989 million or something like that. And maybe that guy has a strong interest in football and gives a $300 million gift over a period of time or something like that. You know, Florida State's got to stay in it. Um, now, I've talked about this before on the Nolcast, bud, and I know this is a, a touchy subject for some, uh, and I certainly appreciate the program and its history. Having seen what the SEC West values college baseball at, I don't think that's something that you could like. There are some sports here that I think Murat is correct in that if some of these programs continue to place the emphasis on it, that they do, that it's just going to be hard for other teams and other conferences uh, to to have that dream. And with Florida State, you got to realize that it's a you know, they can still do a lot of things. They just don't have the flexibility and the ability to do it immediately. When did you, when were you exactly at Alabama Law? Uh, did you graduate in 11, 10? I, I got out in 10. Okay. So you were there, were you there, just as an example, uh, had they already knocked down the decals and built the Champions Way when you got there? I think so. I think that was a 2007 project or something like that. So uh, I'm just going to give this an example. Alabama Athletics, <laughs> they wanted to uh, kind of build out the entrance into part of the stadium. They had a, a fraternity, kind of an old line fraternity there. Uh, so they tore the house down, did this thing where they have statues. and I believe they called Old Row. Yeah, it, it was part of Old Row. Uh, part of Old Grove, certainly, um, and it's Champions Way. And I mentioned this because they had to. I'm not going to bore everybody with like the machine and some of the <laughs> some of the complications and uh, political aspects of the Alabama uh, fraternity scene. But when you tear down the decals, there's some complications that come with that. So they built them a five million dollar fraternity house uh, to to make up for this project that they wanted to do. I'm not saying Florida State couldn't do something similar to that, but it would be a much more drawn out process and the ability to raise money, make decisions uh, happens over a period of years where at places like Alabama, LSU, uh, if they make an idea, they, you know, take that through whatever committee or approval process they have, you can start immediately. That's just not something that Florida State has. So, uh, you know, it's a work in progress. The boosters have had an awful lot of success of Reese. They're going to continue to try to push this campaign that they have, uh, but it's going to be a slow process where ultimately, uh, you know, Florida State will uh, catch up to some degree, but they're going to have to have some luck. And as fans, you're going to probably have to have a little bit of patience. I think you said it perfectly there. All right. Last question here. Uh, Thomas wants to know, recently, a lot of attention to conversation has been on the idea of preferred walk-ons. Could you guys jump deeper into the subject? Uh, yeah, sure, man. I'm not totally sure what Thomas wants to know, but if uh, if we don't answer it correctly or if, if not to your satisfaction, just let me know. Uh, so preferred walk-ons are uh, walk-ons who are basically promised a spot on the team as long as they show up. Coaching staffs are kind of secretive about who they bring on as walk-ons until the kids actually get into school because they don't want other schools, especially in their region or in their state, to poach them or you know try to promise them something a little bit better. Uh, but Florida State is trying to kind of redo its walk-on program and get guys who they feel fit its its own system, uh, as obviously they they think that's a different fit than what the last guys had. Look, let's not be the main goal of the walk-on program is to give your guys good looks in uh, in in practice, right? And and 
provide quality reps, have good guys you can go on or go against and, and, and beat on basically uh, in, in, in practice. If you have to like seriously consider playing walk-ons more than like one kid a year who might be special, then you're, you're really not doing a very good job as a staff. And I don't think Florida State has to consider that. I think they're doing a fine job right now. Uh, but yeah, they, they are bringing in you know, standard amount of walk-ons. I don't think it's that many more uh, than normal. That's been a lot of the talk recently because there's just not that much news going on. And as these kids get into school, word kind of leaks out, hey, you got this kid, he's going to be a walking on the team and uh, you know, this kid and that kid, that all, all that kind of stuff. I, that's just kind of the gist of it. I, I'm sorry that's not more exciting. No, no. I had a lot of questions about that recently. So uh, worth us spending a couple minutes on. Uh, all right, but if you don't have anything else, uh, that'll probably do us for the evening. Uh, as always, want to Thank all of our sponsors, listeners, and supporters, uh, and we will be back talking with you here soon. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Nolcast.